Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. Like most people in the United States, trivial pursuit rolled into my town like a wave. Everybody suddenly was interested in it, including my family, who got an addition for Christmas. I love the design of the board, the cards, and just the idea of general trivia as a means of playing a game. One of the things that my family did, especially my mother and I, would be to use just the cards and ask each other trivia questions. And we would do this at night while watching whatever TV show she was watching. We would just have the cards in our hands and ask a question to one another randomly whenever. And it was often a question we found interesting or we thought the other person would get a kick out of. We did this for months. My mom went to school with the neighbors and I was very good friends with their kids. They had gotten Trivial Pursuit and gotten really into it as well. And for some reason decided that we would do a family game night where the families would get together and play this new game that was sweeping the nation. My mother agreed. She thought it would be fun. They came over. The trivia board was set up. There were chips and drinks. Now we had split into teams. My mom and I were on one team, my two sisters on another. The other family split themselves up so that we could all play at the same time. We started playing and what my mother and I didn't realize at the time was that by constantly reading the questions, we had effectively memorized a lot of them. Not all of them, but a good amount of them. And started answering questions that were blowing people's minds. Stuff that we shouldn't have known. And whereas a normal Trivial Pursuit game will take about an hour, we were blasting through games in 20 minutes. And at the end of the day, I think we had won four games. Needless to say, the other family never brought up game night again. I think they were so dejected by their loss at the hands of these two trivia masters that they went home in shame, and I imagine they never played Trivial Pursuit again. We never talked about this with them, although inside our family we joked about it a lot, especially my mom and I thought it was very funny that it happened. I don't think we broke the rules of trivia, because trivia in itself is something you memorize. Although I imagine having knowledge of what the trivia will be beforehand counts. But there's no way to avoid it when you play Trivial Pursuit. There is a finite amount of cards. You're bound to start remembering things. We just happen to be better prepared at the game. It made for a very memorable evening and cemented Trivial Pursuit in my brain as something that I was pretty good at and would want to play again and again for years to come. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about the game Trivial Pursuit. We'll talk about the people who created it. We'll talk about the rules, all the additions that they put out, where you could find Trivial Pursuit not on a tabletop, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Trivial Pursuit is a board game where success in the game is determined by your ability to answer general trivia questions. While the game is popular worldwide, you can trace the origins of the game back to Canada in 1979. That's where Chris Haney and Scott Abbott, who both worked for newspapers, Haney for Montreal's Gazette and Abbott for the Canadian press, were sitting down to play a game of Scrabble. While doing so, they discovered that there were pieces of the game missing. And since you don't want to play an incomplete game and they were feeling sort of creative, they might have also had some beers, they decided they would create their own game. They got out a piece of cardboard and some colored paper and started cutting and pasting things onto the board and would develop what would be the Trivial Pursuit board and the concept of answering questions. They quickly discovered it was kind of fun and thought, well, maybe we could make this ourselves and sell it. Unfortunately, though, they didn't know the first thing about doing so, but they're people who could create a board game that could probably figure out what needed to be done to make and sell a board game. They determined they would need tens of thousands of dollars to pull this off. And even after they pooled all of their money together, they realized they were going to need more people to be involved. So they brought in Hanley's brother, John, and an attorney named Ed Warner as investors to what they hoped would help finish off the game's development. But even then, they realized they didn't have enough money to manufacture the game in a large amount. So they started pitching the game to different people and were able to bring in 32 other investors and raise the money they needed to get started. They also brought in a third creative person, Michael Worstlin, who was an 18-year-old artist who didn't have a job at the time and his unemployment insurance had just run out. So they offered him money to make the graphics for the board that you see. He was savvy enough to realize there was some potential here and took his payment in shares of stock in the company that was being founded around this game. That turned out to be a very good investment because all of the original investors easily made their money back and eventually were getting large dividend checks once the game would become a success. They raised enough money that they were able to place an order to have a thousand games made. At that size, though, there was no scaling. They couldn't save money. So each game costs about $75 Canadian to manufacture at the time. That was an unheard of price for any board game at the time. And so when they went to retailers, they wouldn't pay more than $20 for the game wholesale. And that would mean they would mark up the game to $40, which was still way too high a price for what most people would pay for a board game at the time. Add to that that the target audience for this game wasn't the normal target audience that the people who were selling these things were looking to sell to, namely kids. So you had an overpriced game targeted at adults going out and selling at a loss. It did not look like a recipe for success, and the company they founded around this Horn Abbott looked like it was going to fail. But here we are, and it's 1981, and a few retailers in Canada decided that they would carry this unknown Horn Abbott game, and they're selling it at a loss. But what they were hoping for was proof of concept, proof that it would be worth investing in a lot more games so that they could start selling it at the proper price. 
They're waiting and waiting. Then it rolls into 1982 when suddenly something starts to happen. The stores that had agreed to carry the game began calling them with orders for new ones. They showed that people wanted the game. And so they needed to raise more money, which is always the case. And they borrowed $40,000 from Abbott's father and then were able to secure a bank loan for $75,000. And they were able to manufacture 20,000 games. By the end of 1982, all 20,000 of those games had been sold, but they wanted to go bigger. And so in 1983, they headed for the New York Toy Fair to learn what they could do next. And what they could do next was find a partner to sell this thing in the United States. They approached the company Cellshow and Writer. Cellshow and Writer were the manufacturers of the very game that they had been trying to play the night they created Trivial Pursuit, Scrabble. But when they went to Cell Show and Writer, they weren't very sure. They had the same misgivings that anyone would have. It was an adult game. It was still pretty pricey, but they did their due diligence. They talked to some people up in Canada, the manufacturers, the retailers, and decided, let's do this. They licensed the game and would take over manufacturing. And they had a lot of experience making games. So they were able to bring down the price further. Trivial Pursuit had found its home in the United States. And it is there that they would have their initial explosive growth. But that's not where it would finish off. They would eventually be bought by Coleco. And the game would change hands. But ultimately, the big company that would take over all things... Hasbro would come to own the rights to distribute the game and still does today. So a little bit about the creators of Trivial Pursuit. Chris Haney, who was born in 1950, passed away in 2010. A Canadian journalist was born in Ontario, became a reporter. He and Haney met in December of 1975 after being assigned to report on the 1976 Summer Olympics that were in Montreal. So a friendship would go on for years before they would work on the game in December of 1979, so four years later. What I liked is the story that they would do research for the game and try to figure out stuff about the game using some of their background as reporters. They could get into places. They would pose as reporters to go to a toy fair in Montreal and interview people to get information from game experts. Haney died pretty young at 59 in 2010 after a long illness, but was a very successful fella. He had originally thought that he could raise enough money from this board game to do some traveling to Europe, which is something he always wanted to do. And he would eventually use the money he got from Trivial Pursuit, which was quite a bit of money, and cruise over to Europe and see some of the world that he wanted to see, and then some. Charles Scott Abbott, co-creator of Trivial Pursuit with Chris Haney, was born in Montreal. An interesting character, he would invest in a hockey team, the North Bay Battalion hockey team, which is in the Ontario Hockey League, and got really into horse racing and has his own stable of horses. If you want to see a great interview with these two, along with John Haney, there's a great interview at the CBC archives. Just search for Trivial Pursuit Invented by Canadians in 1979. Pretty on the nose there. Put it in quotes. It should be the first result. It's a, about a four or five minute interview, so not very long, but kind of fun to watch. Would my esteemed colleague kindly repeat the question? Gladly, Senator. 
What time does Wee Willie Winky run through the town? Trivial Pursuit. It's more than a game. It's a national obsession. It's here. Big Bird! It's there. It's everywhere. And the fun keeps coming. Trivial Pursuit. Because every American is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of trivia. From South Show and Writer. The game would have multiple licensees over the years. People who would license the game and then manufacture it and sell it. I wanted to focus on Cell Show and Writer because I think most people have heard of Hasbro and Parker Brothers, but might not know this company. Cell Show and Writer got its start back in 1867 and was founded by E.G. Cell Show. He would partner with John Writer in 1880, and they changed the company's name at that point to Cell Show and Writer. They were a company known for licensing games and manufacturing them, other people's games namely, but they would accumulate their own hits over the years. Their first hit would be Parcheesi, which they would start manufacturing in 1870 and trademarked in 1874, but probably most notably before Trivial Pursuit and bigger than Trivial Pursuit was their licensing of Scrabble from James Brunot in 1952. They would then purchase the trademark for it in 1972. They would make other games as well. In 1982, they were the ones who decided to take a chance on Trivial Pursuit, which turned out to be a really good idea. And in 1986, they were purchased by Coleco Industries for $75 million. Unfortunately, three years later, Coleco declared bankruptcy, and its assets, including the rights to a lot of these games, were purchased for $85 million. So that is how the game made the journey from Cell Show and Rider to Hasbro eventually. So how does one play Trivial Pursuit? It's a pretty straightforward game. In the game, you move around the board by answering trivia questions that are chosen pretty much at random by rolling your die. You move a piece along this circular game board. Picture a wheel with spokes with spaces that you could land on, on the spokes and around the wheel. People have little plastic pieces that they move around, and as you roll the die, you move that many spaces on the board, and each one has a color and an image that corresponds to a trivia category. In this original version of the game, the colors and categories are blue for geography, pink for entertainment, yellow for history, brown as art and literature, green as science and nature, and orange as sports and leisure. The game pieces themselves are divided into six sections where you could put little pieces in, these little plastic wedges, sort of like pieces of pie. Some people also call them cheese triangles. And as you get a question right, you get that color. So say you get a geography question right when you're on one of these very special spaces where you could earn a piece of pie. Then you get it and put your piece in there and you have effectively defeated geography. You would need to collect all six of them to get to the chance to win. And to do that, you need to land in the center of the board by rolling. Then everybody can confer and ask you a question of their choice that you need to answer. And if you get it wrong, you have to go back out and come back in and try again. So that's where some of the delays can happen in the game. Those are basically the rules. A game can take about an hour, hour and a half, sometimes longer, depending on how knowledgeable people are. 
and how quick they are at calculating where they are on the board. If you want faster ways to play or different ways to play, there are a lot of house rules for the game. You should go to Board Game Geek and check out the ones that people have posted there. There's a lot of great stuff. I have my own house rules for a very fast version of Trivial Pursuit because really what I prefer is just asking questions. And so the pieces just become sort of markers for answering any question in that category correctly. And I will use the board, although you don't need one, to randomize it. But you could just assign a number to the categories. You roll the six-sided die, whatever number you roll, that's the question you're asked. And if it happens to correspond to a piece of pie you need, you get it. And the first person who gets all the pieces of pie wins. And if you want at the end, you can throw in one of those. You have to answer a question from the other people's choosing. It's a much more rapid game like that. You can polish off a game in 10 or 15 minutes, depending on how many players you have. But that's just how I like to play. Over the years, Trivial Pursuit would expand greatly from its original version known as the Genus Edition. They would start specializing in categories like sports or in generational things like, oh, here is the 1980s edition. It's all about the 1980s. I've always wondered why they call it the genus edition. And when I went online, I was surprised, maybe not surprised, but sort of surprised to see that people thought that the word genus was actually the word genius. They just sort of skimmed over it and didn't realize. Some people actually thought it was a typo on the box, which is bananas. I kind of wondered why genus, but I never really put things together. I'd searched online, and of course, you see that genus is part of our scientific naming system. But I also found a definition where genus is defined as general, or a general kind of something. So general would be the category for the genus editions of Trivial Pursuit, filled with general knowledge about lots of different things, as opposed to a focus or specialized knowledge, say like the Silver Screen Edition, which is all about movies. They would release many things that were not the genus edition. There is a big list of Trivial Pursuit editions online that I have been browsing, looking up. Some of them very familiar. The Young Players edition, the Walt Disney Family edition, just so many of them over the years. Just in the 80s alone, there's about a dozen editions of Trivial Pursuit that they put out. But as we got into the 90s, they started to do things like tie it into Star Wars. So you could have a just based on a movie franchise trivia questions. And then they went even further when Star Wars Episode One came out and they created a Trivial Pursuit version just for that. But over the years, not only would they continue this creation of various specialized Trivial Pursuit editions, they would also create things like mini packs, which were just cards. And those would specialize around things like sports or TV. Just something you could take with you. Perfect for people like my mom and I who like to ask each other trivia questions. They would also create something as part of their winning moves or bite-sized editions. And those were even more specialized. They had about 600 questions. And those could be focused on anything from James Bond to Doctor Who to the Big Bang Theory and everything in between. And they still make those today. And that's another clever way to package trivia questions. If you want an interesting version of Trivial Pursuit and you're a Star Trek fan, you should check out 
Trivial Pursuit, the Star Trek edition VCR game. Unfortunately for people in the United States, it wasn't released here. But since then, a lot of it has been posted online. The set had a VHS with hundreds of clips from the original Star Trek series and the Star Trek films, and they would tie that in as a trivia game. So a fun use of VCR technology and Trivial Pursuit. One of my favorite versions of Trivial Pursuit is the Glass Edition that was sold a couple of years ago, and you can find it online still. I kind of want it, but I've been afraid to order one online because it's the Glass Edition, so it is a Glass Trivial Pursuit game board. And here's the thing. That's going to be impossible for me to store anywhere in a safe way, and I also worry about shipping, which is why I haven't pulled the trigger on getting one. But still, I love the look of playing a glass version of Trivial Pursuit. Unfortunately, the trivia questions are not printed on glass sheets, but if you want to see a really cool Trivial Pursuit board, you should search the Trivial Pursuit glass edition. I'm here to tell you about new Trivial Pursuit card sets. Three sets of cards so you don't have to buy a whole new game. There's like this groovy 60s card set, man, with questions just about the 60s. And you don't have to buy a whole new game, just a new card set. Like the 80s. Who could forget the 80s? Well, I... And how about those vintage years? Oh, man, you don't have to buy a whole new game. Trivial Pursuit card sets. Just pick a set you can relate to. As you might guess, with Trivial Pursuit's explosive growth, there were some lawsuits related to the game. In 1984, Fred Worth, who wrote various books on trivia, filed a lawsuit against the distributors of Trivial Pursuit for $300 million. He claimed that a quarter of the questions in the original edition were taken from his books. They'd even copied typos and a deliberately placed bit of misinformation that Worth had put into his books to catch anyone who was copying his books. The inventors of the game didn't actually dispute that Worth's books were some of his sources, but they said that facts themselves were not protected by copyright. This was first settled in district court that ruled in favor of Trivial Pursuit, and that decision was appealed and went to the U.S. Court of Appeals in 1987, and that was also upheld. They tried to take this to the Supreme Court, but in March of 1988, they declined to hear it, so that lawsuit was settled. Another lawsuit was brought up in 1994 by David Wall of Nova Scotia, who said that In the fall of 79, he and a friend were picked up while hitchhiking by Chris Haney, and they told him about their idea for this game in detail. Two things, though, about this case. They weren't able to pull up some proof that this was the case. They said there had been drawings, but that those had been destroyed. And Wall's friend, who had been hitchhiking with him that day, wouldn't testify. Haney said he didn't even know who Wall was, and he never met him. This would be in court for years, and in 2007, the Nova Scotia Supreme Court would eventually rule against Wall. So both of those cases brought up, but were ultimately settled in favor of Trivial Pursuit, its creators, or distributor. This is Trivial Pursuit, the interactive game on the Family Channel. Trivial Pursuit would make the leap from the board game to the small screen. In 1993, Trivial Pursuit would premiere on the Family Channel and run till 1994, hosted by Wink Martindale, with Randy West as the announcer. This is not the first attempt at this. In 1987, producer Jay Wolpert 
would produce a pilot with World Vision that wasn't picked up. You can see these pilots on Wink Martindale's YouTube page, which has some great stuff that he worked on there. He posted that almost 10 years ago, but you could find it by going to Wink Martindale's page and looking for the videos. It's a little hard to search for because of so much noise online. The version that would stick would be the one on the Family Channel. They also did another version hosted by Christopher Knight, Peter from The Brady Bunch. That was called Trivial Pursuit America Plays, and that aired from 2008 to 2009. In 2004, they would do a sports version on ESPN that didn't last very long. And supposedly, we're going to get another version of Trivial Pursuit hosted by the great LeVar Burton. So we'll see if that ever happens. The Family Channel's Trivial Pursuit, you can still find a lot online. It gets posted to YouTube all the time. It's quite entertaining to watch. It's an interesting game show in that there's quite a lot of players at first that get whittled down as the game moves forward. It's loosely based on Trivial Pursuit. It being the 90s, they were trying all sorts of interesting and fun things with the game show, even bringing in elements of an audience game. I always like when a game show will have a quirk or a weird thing. For this one, it was they bring an audience member up. You get five questions, and they're worth 20 bucks a piece. So maximum you could make is $100. But I find that when I watch a game show and it has an element like that, it becomes my favorite element. Maybe it's because I can see myself in that version. There would be international versions of the game. They did a version in the UK hosted by Rory McGrath. And then another version by Tony Slattery. They did a version in Germany hosted by Birgit Lechterman. The Soviet Union bought the rights to produce its own version of the board game in 89. And that would lead to televised versions of people playing the game, which were broadcast on Soviet television. That would last only for two years, but a very interesting time in history. Of course, if you're going to have a game show, you need a home version of the game show. So you have home versions of the game show based on a board game. In 1993, Parker Brothers released Trivial Pursuit Game Show with a cover that featured Wink Martindale and questions from the show. They would also create electronic versions of Trivial Pursuit. Probably the one that I find most interesting would be the arcade game by Bally. Their Trivial Pursuit arcade game would be a very popular title, only Hat Trick, which is an ice hockey game, would be more popular. Unfortunately, this arcade game has become very rare. I have tried to find it and have wanted to play it in real life, not just to emulate it, and have yet to find it. I don't think that there are many that are out there still working. They came in upright arcade cabinets where two players could compete against each other. They also had a cocktail version. Eventually, they would add versions to the arcade. They would include versions of Trivial Pursuit that we would be familiar with from their boxed editions, including the genus Genus 2, Baby Boomer, All-Star Sports, and Young Players Edition. But picture it, you could go to an arcade or you could go to a bar or restaurant and they could have a cocktail version of Trivial Pursuit, meaning a table that you could sit at, put your food and drink on top, and play a video game that you're looking down at. But picture that as a sort of calm game of Trivial Pursuit, where questions are just popping up. That would be a pretty good evening for me. Of course, if you're going to have an arcade version... You're going to have home editions. They would create home computer editions starting pretty early. Domark, which is a British software company, is probably most famous 
for selling Trivial Pursuit colon the computer game. It's pretty faithful to the original, but it has something extra because it's a computer. So they put in both music questions and image questions that you can answer. Hasbro Interactive would release a version in 1999. And of course, outside of the computer, they would release versions of Trivial Pursuit on various systems, starting with the Sega CD, the Nintendo Wii, the Xbox 360, the Xbox One, and then the PlayStation 2 and 3. They would also make mobile games out of it. There were some online versions of Trivial Pursuit that were released by companies like Sony and Uproar had its own version of Trivial Pursuit that they licensed. So over the years, if you had an electronic device and wanted to play Trivial Pursuit, there were lots of options for you. Myself, I still prefer the board game in my own way that I play it. Trivial Pursuit was targeted to adults, and by targeting adults specifically, and by the very nature of trivia, they helped to create a whole new genre of games in that market that would lead to games for adults that had social elements to them. We would get games like Pictionary and Balderdash and all the other games that would come with it. They don't seem like they're specifically related to Trivial Pursuit, but in the very nature and how we interact with them, they can trace their origins back to this game that swept our country by storm. And it's such a great game because trivia is infinite. As we move forward in history, new trivia is constantly generated in various categories. So there's no reason the Trivial Pursuit ever needs to stop, and it probably won't. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and instagram.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word pixel, and the number eight. Thanks to everyone who has been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a five-star rating at Apple Podcast or wherever you downloaded the show. Really, the high ratings are what help push the show up. So I'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show further, you should check out Patreon. The Retroist is on Patreon at patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show for just a couple of bucks a month get access to bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, and the Retroist Discord. It's a fun community. I hope you drop by and check it out. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. I'm so sorry. It's the moops. The correct answer is the moops. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.